Welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Will. Today I'm joined by author Eric Otero. Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Good. So I start every podcast asking the same question. What is your favorite horror movie of all time? I'm sure you get this answer a lot too. Is that it's a hard question to answer. It changes all the time. But one of one of my all time favorites is definitely John Carpenter's A Thing. Oh yeah. You know, it has all the great like cosmic sci-fi horror. Like you don't there there's enough mystery of everything going on. They don't they only tell you exactly what you need to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good character movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like the like the original Alien is up there too. Uh, also, this little indie movie, Headhunter. Um, it's only like an hour long. Has one actor in it. All practical effects. Oh, sweet! Yeah. I wonder how you make that work. One actor, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. It was basically just it's it's a, a guy who hunts monsters, and most of it's done like off screen. But like it, it, they do such a good job with like framing and like suspense and all that that like it's just building up until the end where he you see like the most of the action where he's fighting one of the monsters and it's action is the wrong word for it because it's very suspenseful and you don't know what's going on. It's a lot. Of, it's like all in the dark and all that. But it's kind of like set in a medieval setting and all that, and it's really good. Well, that's good. So being a fan of the thing, did you watch the new season of True Detective? I did not. I I started watching the second season of True Detective and like just opted out like after the, I think the second episode and just haven't looked back. Oh yeah, season 2 was rough. I mean, I think I made it to our episode 3 or 4 and it just it lost me completely. Season 1 was golden. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was it was phenomenal like atmosphere was perfect and everything the i don't know like the just overwhelming sense of dread yeah perfect southern gothic like setting and all that yeah it was really good and uh the man in yellow i think that was a book by somebody who inspired hp lovecraft yeah yeah the king in yellow the king in yellow yeah 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 i guess i read that one but it's on the list yeah it's on my list too it's supposed to be really uh it's it's one of those oldie time books where the language is probably a barrier like I can't read Lovecraft very well because it's just hard to get what he's saying half the time, kind of like in a Shakespearean yeah. sense. Yeah, I actually listened to like his entire collection over the summer. Like I work as a groundskeeper, so I have a lot of time with headphones on. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time in the bright sunlight, weed whacking and mowing, listening to people go mad in tunnels and all that. <laughs> so it was a great juxtaposition. But yeah, I can definitely see the language being a barrier. And I just actually finished listening to Frankenstein, which is the same way. Oh, yeah. Where, I love Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. But it's funny. All the depictions of Frankenstein, he's just kind of like, Ugh. and then in there, he's like waxing philosophical about his existence mm-hmm. and, you know, the nature of being and all that and being brought into the world without a purpose and no guidance and all that and only experiencing like joy superfluously. And then when he finally interacts with someone, it's, you know, they're horrified by him. So he just becomes what he's shown, basically. Yeah. Frankenstein is one of my favorite uh, universal monsters. So the book was really different than that, but it was really fun. Yeah. too. Like it was, it was easy to read surprisingly. Like Dracula is one I had kind of trouble with having a universal yeah. monster. That was a book also, but Frankenstein, it kept me in the edge of my seat the whole time. 
Yeah. One, one thing my book has in common with a lot of those older styles is that they're kind of like Frankenstein is told with like through letters and like all that. And so is Dracula. And I, mine is kind of told in an inter- as an interview. Mm-hmm. So my, my, one of my main characters is Wallace Richards, who lives in a underground city after an apocalypse. And it's basically a utopia, but he, you know, kind of works as a liaison for the artificial intelligence that runs the city. And if a job's going right, no one knows that they're kind of being monitored at all times. So he's there to make sure everyone, if they have any kind of concern at all, is handled. And they're usually small because in a utopia, what kind of issues are you going to have? It's usually like, you know, I want the sunrise to be later or whatever. And, you know, I want to fish in this creek and you haven't let me fish in this creek in a while because it's a whole artificial environment. And then one of the, I call them the Ronin in it, they're basically enhanced super soldiers from the era before the cataclysm. And they've basically, they are undying in a lot of ways because they're, uh, enhanced through nanomachines that keep their body up and all that and he comes with a warning and so he's basically like hey your guys aren't safe and i'm going to show you how why and like because he knows like kind of an unbelievable story and that they're gonna you know be like oh we're safe here nothing's bothered us in hundreds of years we're fine so he basically has um something in his uh, brain called lexicon that records everything and his uh, emotions and all that. Like it's basically a memory chip. And he basically has a Wallace experience with him. So they go through the story like of like, okay, this is what set it off. This is why I'm here. And then he just shows them like, these are the threats. This is why I'm here. This is how I came here and why I think this is a serious threat. And I liked it because it was a way for me to do world building in a very natural way because Wallace in a lot of the ways is the reader. So he will encounter something. He's like, what's this? And then Laird, the main, the main character who is the, the Ronin, the enhanced soldier, can explain it. And then vice versa. In the Utopia, Laird is a complete outsider. So he asks Wallace, like, what's going on here? Why are things like this? And then Wallace can explain it to him. That's clever. I, I, in my mind, it was kind of like a lazy way to do it, but I, th- I think I tried to pull it off as clever as possible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's actually a really good way of world building because you want a character that is the uh, reader in the character's shoes. I mean, I think every great fantasy book has someone like that. Like, I'm a yeah. huge fan of uh, Mistborn by uh, Brandon Sanderson, and he does that in almost every book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I. I have it sitting in my audiobook, like to to be read or listened to list. Yeah, and you know, I'm just like, oh, it's like 45 hours long. I've got all these other things I want to oh, listen God. to. <laughs> yeah, so you know, it's it, it's it's there, and I'm going to get to it eventually. But oh yeah, highly recommended. But let's talk about your book a bit more, The Howling Between Worlds, Actually, out August 29th. Uh, where did this book come from? How did you get the idea? Uh, it's, it's, I've always liked tinkering with writing a little bit, but I'm dyslexic and I always just kind of thought that would be a barrier preventing me from ever getting, like getting to a proper book. But I remember at one point when I was really getting back into reading as an adult, kind of had the time, had a Kindle and just was just trying to eat through all the books I've wanted to read. I got to the point where I was like, I kind of want to read a book that has 
like mecha in it. That's not like manga anime stuff. Like I was like, is that is there a Western version of that? So I started looking, and there really kind of wasn't. And I was, you know, I was like, oh man, that would be something good with this, especially with, like horror because I like horror and all that. And I just kept looking, looked on Reddit, all these th- all this stuff. And there's a couple like in you know self published books that are kind of in the same vein. But when I checked them out, they were obvious, like no editing. Mm-hmm. It, like it only had one set of eyes on it. They either printed their first or second draft. Like the ideas were there, but like the execution was not. Yeah. And I hate to say that because, you know, you're basically telling someone that their the project they put their heart and soul in is subpar. And I mean, they, someone would still have like hundreds of good reviews. And I was like, well, maybe I can do this then. But I noted on every single mistake that I felt any of these indie authors did. And I wanted to rectify that. So I finished my first draft in 2020. And I've been tinkering with it. And I forked over a bunch of money for a development uh, developmental edit. Waited some time, got that. Forked over some more money for a line edit. And at the time, I thought I was going to self-publish this. I was just waiting to save money to be able to make the next hurdles. And then I came across Unveiling Nightmares and, you know, got a, got my, my story in their um, uh, body horror anthology. And they were saying that they're in Crystal, who's, who's great. She um, is really pushing for the authors and that under her and all that. But she was saying like, I'm all, oh, I'm open to novels. I was like, well, I've got this novel sitting around, like take a look at it. And she's like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to publish this. So that kind of took a weight off of me too, that like now I have a release date. I like, I, you know, and I am talking to people about it and promoting it and all that. It's really surreal. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. I really respect too, that you take a lot of time on your books because I'm the same way. Like I can't release something if I feel it's not up to my standard, especially if there's like grammatical errors and faulty characterization and shitty world building. It's like, I am very hard on myself. So I definitely respect that in other people. Yeah. And it's like, I know, I know where my weaknesses are and I know how much I've grown because I've been editing it again from the line editor that I hired. And he, he had expressed to me that it's one of his biggest jobs he's ever done. And when I wrote the book, the first time I did it in first person and then halfway through the book, I decided like, I think I want this in third person. So then I went back and tried to switch it, you know, everything over, but I missed some spots obviously. And so he's going through and fixing that. I'm going through and fixing that. And then I've just noticed that some of the writing in the beginning felt kind of flat. So I'm like, you know, adding some more stuff. And then there's other things that I'm like, oh, I should really re- elaborate on this. And then, you know, going back and forth on that. And it just keeps, it keeps growing. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Keeps you busy. Keeps you uh, energized. I mean, Absolutely. it's more boring than working on a book for years at a time and then losing interest in it. It's really good. You kept the interest. Because that's how you know yeah. it's a good story if it keeps your interest. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's something that I definitely know there's a market for because there is a love of Mecca that I, I think is an untapped niche. And Armored Core 6 that just came out, like, blew up. And there's people that are talking about, like, robots and, like, pilotable robots and doing stuff with that that, like, kind of haven't in a long time. And um like titanfall like i know like the developers are talking about getting that back up and because of the new renewed interest and 
You know, it's just something that the Western market hasn't really engaged with much. And it's a shame because, like, everyone loves Transformers that likes this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, like, I think that is kind of a proof concept that, like, it could work. Now, can you explain to the listener what Mecha means? Mecha is, uh, it's a wide, I can explain the history of Mecha because I am so in-depth and in love with it. But it is essentially giant robots that are piloted either remotely or inside like a, uh, um, you know, like a, like a jet or something. And depending on the, um, the franchise it's in, it can like be in place of a tank or a jet or in Pacific Rim, like it's a man-made kaiju to fight other kaiju, or it can just be like an augmentation of the person's body. So like, in um, Avatar, they have mechs in it that, you know, like, they, they are very Western-style mechs, which I call the refrigerator with limbs, mm-hmm. where it is literally, like, it's a cockpit with limbs, and that's it. Very utilitarian, really material, like, militaristic, which I love, but I also love the more humanoid. Like, my big inspiration is Gundam, and the original Gundam was... Like Yoshiko Tomino wanted to make a serious story and he had this whole vision, but the people that he was uh, trying to sell it to were like, yeah, but we want to sell toys to kids and like kids like robots. He's like, okay, so I will make it a, you know, like a super realistic mecha robot war show. And they're like, okay, but you know, he needs to have like a mace and all that. And he, like he was fighting the toy companies the entire time to get his vision out and it was a it was a failure at first but it got renewed interest in reruns and all that and it ended up starting a whole whole series whole genre and like gundam is like a 15th big or 13th biggest franchise in the world and like a lot of people here in america don't know about it like it's higher than like big western uh franchises Nice. I think I might have. It was a uh, TV show as a kid. It was anime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um like my introduction to it was Gundam Wing on Toonami. Okay. And then they started releasing more of it once that kind of picked up a little bit. But then 9-11 happened and a lot of the more like war centered shows were just stopped because the first episode of the original Mobile Suit Gundam, it starts with a terrorist attack. And then in Gundam Wing, the main characters are essentially terrorists. Yeah, that'd be a hard pitch during that time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the whole market kind of went away for a bit. Yeah, it, it did. And it really, it really killed it here. But I mean, it's starting, it's starting to come back a little bit. And like Netflix has a bunch of the Gundam shows and Gundam movies on it. And, um, you know, I think that's really helping. But you know, I so there, there's a massive hole in the market that I people will like. And I also, you know, pe- there's like not a lot of science fiction horror books. Like, you know, there's not or there's there's a bunch, but there's not enough. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, science horror fiction, um, science fiction horror. <laughs> I messed that <laughs> one up. Like, who would you say you're comparable to writing wise? Like, who are some of your influences? Um, God, uh. Hmm. That's, I mean, that's a good question. I almost, I almost want to say like, um, with the expanse, cause I mean, the first couple of books definitely leaned more into the horror stuff, 
And it can e easily be kind of like a popcorn read where it's like, oh, you know, adventures in space, fighting space monsters and, you know, militias and stuff. But there is a depth there. There's deeper themes that, you know, like you can kind of explore if you want, but they don't shove them in your face. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I'm trying to make my book be. Like, I want there to be action and all that, but I also want there to be, like, an overwhelming sense of cosmic dread. And, like, you know, like, the main character is very doubtful of himself. Like, he grows throughout it, but, you know, in not the best of ways in a lot of ways. Like, he is not this super heroic main character that is, a you know, a badass and all that. I mean, he has some badasses around him. And then he watches some of them die. And, you know, it that it kind of adds in with those like survivor's guilt and all that. So, I mean, I mean, there's there's a lot of that. Like, uh, I would say Dean Koontz even, because Dean Koontz does a lot of kind of stuff like that. He's a big influence. Um, What I kind of aim to be is kind of like Peter Watts, where, like, because I like the hard sci-fi. And Peter Watts is the hardest, crunchiest of sci-fi. where a lot of the reviews of like any of his books, like I actually have his book blind sight sitting right here. A lot of it is like people saying like they didn't understand half of what was going on. And some people enjoy that and other people don't like, it's definitely a book that I've had to like look up what things meant when he was talking about him and like getting into like psychological stuff and like talks about game theory and you know, a, lo a lot of really deep stuff is kind of mentioned. And then, Sometimes it's never really mentioned again. It's mentioned in passing. Like one of the characters gets uh, like interacts with like the entities that they're um, the aliens are that are very loosely described in the beginning. And she starts thinking that she's dead, like completely is like, oh, I'm dead. Leave me here. All that. And it's just like she suddenly came down with Katar's delusion, which they just mentioned mention in passing. Like, oh, she got Katar's delusion. All that. It's fine. We figured it out. And they move on. But that's like a whole thing that, you know, like I never knew about that was just mentioned in passing. Hmm. Yeah, it was the same way when I was reading the uh, alien novelization. Like it was hard for me because yeah. it's very hard sci-fi. Like they don't make it any easier for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I love I love books that don't spoon that like don't spoon feed you. Mm -hmm. Like I've been reading R. Scott Baker's series, which is like really grim, dark, really. Like it does all the stuff that every writer like, like every everything you read where a writer is like, oh, advice of what not to do. He does all of those and does it so well <laughs> that it's you know it's amazing. Like one chapter might have seven different POVs, and he also doesn't distinguish between them. It's just like an extra space, and all of a sudden you're another person's POV, and you know like, and he doesn't again he doesn't spoon feed you like they'll mention things and wars and stuff that doesn't get elaborated on until like three books later and you know it also as it goes on gets more into cosmic horror territory like it's one of the craziest things i've ever read because it starts off as like you're following this jesus-like character as he amasses an army to take down an evil but then you kind of realize like oh he's actually kind of a sociopath and is manipulating everyone mm -hmm. and you know, the, the big evil that he's trying to take down are actually like aliens that came down thousands of years ago and started warring with the people there. And like they allude to like ancient technology and all this. And, you know, it's 
it's a lot going on and it's one of the one of the harder reads i've read but i've enjoyed every second of it are you a fan of uh movie tie-ins like the alien and predator ones i i don't think i've ever ever uh tried anything like that like i keep seeing the alien stuff pop up and i i've been tempted but i never had anyone actually recommend it to me they're pretty good. They're really rich with lore. And it's kind of like what yeah. you're talking about, where they talk about events that have happened either in other books or events that haven't actually been written yet. It's pretty neat. It's something yeah. I dig. Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, again, they're on, like, I have a T- TBR list of like 300 books. So oh, I yeah. think they're in there somewhere. <laughs> I'm the same way, man. My TBR list yeah. is about sky high. Yeah. Well, is there, uh, before we wrap up, uh, The Howling Between Worlds comes out August 29th. Where can everybody find you? Um, I'm on Facebook at E.M. Otero. Um, I'm also on Instagram. And you can also find me here soon on Unveiling Nightmares. I have a story coming out called Between the Panels. I'll be also be on Psychotoxins, Eye Tales. I have a story, Eye of the Blizzard, and um, The Bells, which... The Bells actually ties in with my book, The Howling Between Worlds. It it takes place, you know, at the same time or a little bit after at a different location with different characters. Okay. I'm excited to check it out, man. It sounds really good. Yeah. Well, thank you, Eric. Yeah, so I'm much. excited for it, too. It's surreal to... Oh, I have sirens going by. <laughs> I don't know They're if here you to get pick you. them up or not. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's really surreal because it's been something I've been wanting to do for a while, and now I'm like at the end of the month, I'm going to have like a book that has my name on it and my stories in it. It's a great feeling. It is. It's great when you're just holding the book in your hand. You're like, I fucking did this, and I took it from concept yeah. to distribution. Yeah, and this one, and the one I'm coming out that's coming out soon is my is the uh, the body horror anthology through uh, Unveiling Nightmares. It's Again, a story that um, I kind of, I've never written anything like that, and no one else has really put any, um, like, sci-fi stuff into it, but I put it in, like, a water mining ship that's mining the rings of Saturn for water, and that that's just the location, and, you know, the horror continues from there. Sweet. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining me, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. 